consumed by our petty differences anymore. We will be united in our common interest. Perhaps it's fate that today is the 4th of July, and you will once again be fighting for our freedom. Not from tyranny, oppression, or persecution, but from annihilation. We're fighting for our right to live, to exist. And should we win the day, the 4th of July will no longer be known as an American holiday, but as the day when the world declared in one voice, we will not go quietly into the night. We will not vanish without a fight. We're going to live on. We're going to survive. Today, we celebrate our Independence Day. So, how did that clip make you feel? Did it maybe give you a little bit of an adrenaline rush? Did it make you want to get off your butt and maybe be part of something? See, that's the way that inspiration works. And Amy asked me last week, she says, why are all these movie clips about sports? I told her, just wait till next week. Because I had to use Independence Day on the 4th of July as only appropriate. But these movie clips that inspire us, they breathe life into us. And that's what this series has been about. Some of the most inspiring stories in all of the Bible. We looked at the courage of Esther in the face of a holocaust. We looked at the passion of David when confronting a giant. And we looked at the conviction and discipline of Daniel before the lion's den. Well, today, today we're going to look at one of the most inspiring women in all of the Bible. And it's not really a well-known story. If you're a Bible scholar, you'll know it, but if you're not, it's not that well-known of a story. It's kind of tucked away. But when we look at it, when we unpack it, when we dig beneath the surface, Oh my goodness, it is a story, and it's an inspiring story. That woman's name is Rahab. You see, you may not have heard of her, but I guarantee that you know her legacy. And it all came from one pivotal act. An act that you can make as well. And it's an act that I hope you will choose make. So here's the background. The first five books of the Bible kind of lay out, start with creation, then we get the incredible fall from grace and perfection, which leads to sin erupting everywhere. Then eventually a catastrophic flood, where, after which God calls a man by the name of Abraham to start anew. Then the people of Israel grow and grow, and then they become captives in Egypt until God rescues them. Probably the quickest version of the first five books of the Bible you've ever heard, but that's the first five books of the Bible. Then you get to those books end.
the death of Moses. Israel's on the border, getting ready to enter into the promised land. And that's where the sixth book of the Bible picks up, a book by the name of Joshua. Joshua is the successor to Moses, the individual who would actually lead the Israelites into the promised land. And Israel had to fight for the mere right to coexist. And that began instantly. The very first city they come to is a city called Jericho, and they were hostile to the Israelites. Rahab lived in that city. She also worked there as a prostitute. So let's begin the story. Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia Grove. He instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there the night. See, that's how her story begins. There is conflict between the people of Israel and the people of Jericho. There's going to be a war. So Joshua sends out two spies, and they go to the first whorehouse they come to. Well, just kidding, kind of. I mean, that's what they did. They, but it was, they didn't go to that whorehouse for a sexual encounter. So let me give you a little bit more background. They didn't have Hyatts, Marriott's, Hilton's back then. They were, there were roadside inns, which also generally were brothels, which is why most people, when they traveled in this time, they would stay with friends and relatives. But these two guys... They were spies. They were Israelites in a foreign land. They had no relatives. They had no friends. They had no one to put them up in the house. So they had to go to that local inn, also known as a brothel. That's where they meet Rahab. She not only worked there as a prostitute, she ran the entire operation as its madam. Her establishment was actually built into the wall, the outer wall of the city, and there's a reason for that. See, in that culture, prostitutes, they were tolerated, but they were not socially accepted. They were the lowest rung on the social ladder. In fact, it was forbidden to marry a prostitute or someone who had previously been a prostitute. So once they enter that profession, enter into that world, it was almost impossible to leave it. They were often forced to live on the outskirts of town or by the walls of the town, and that tells us about Rahab's life. Not much of a future. Not much hope in her life. That is, until she was given a chance to do something, to make a choice. Let me read it to you. It says this. It says, Somewhere, someone told the king of Jericho, Some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, Bring out the men who have come into your house. 
for they have come here to spy out the whole land. Rahab had hidden the two men, but she replied, Yes, the men were here earlier, but I didn't know where they came from. They left the town at dusk, and the gates were about to be closed. I don't know where they went. If you hurry, you can probably catch up with them. Actually, she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them beneath the bundles of flax she had laid out. So the king's men went looking for the spies along the road leading to the shallow crossings of the Jordan River. As soon as the king's men had left, the gate of Jericho was closed. That is one gutsy move. She defies the king, risking her own life to protect spies from a foreign land, spies who were coming to scout out the land to conquer the land. They were not her friends. They were her enemies. But she risks it all, thinking fast on her feet with a clever lie that bought time and created a diversion. Now, for some of you, you might be thinking that she lied. She shouldn't lie. Lying's bad, right? If her lying bothers you, let me bother you a little bit more because I would have done the exact same thing. And if that offends you, I'm sorry, but there are times that I think it would be appropriate to lie. If someone breaks into my house waving a gun and says, I'm here to kill everyone in the house, are you alone? Do you think I'm going to tell them about Amy hiding in the closet? Absolutely not. I'm going to lie through my teeth. See, when you are dealing with irrational, hell-bent evil, and you are trying to prevent it, then virtue, the virtue of truth-telling, becomes secondary to the prevention of that evil. If a killer walks into a school and wants to know where the children are, I'm going to lie. So I'm on Rahab's side here about her lying, and I believe God is too. See, Rahab risked everything to save these men. Enemies. But that's, that's not all. See, what happens next is more incredible when you, than it may seem on the surface. We read it, and it says, Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up to the roof to talk with them. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror, for we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord, your God, is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. Think about what we just read. 
First, she says, I know that God has given you this land. Translation, I believe. She has become a believer. I believe in you being the people of God. I believe in your God having led you here. And I believe in your God being faithful and able to do what he has promised. I believe. But that's not all. After she shows she's up on current events, she then says these words, For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. Not bad for a pagan prostitute. She confesses that their God, not her God, their God is the supreme God. More powerful than the stone gods that she has been worshiping her entire life. And if you read just a little bit between the lines, you will see that she doesn't want to be a prostitute. And if you're wondering how I know that, it's because she hid the spies under bundles of flax on her roof. You see, bundles of flax was something that women who were the poorest of the poor were allowed to harvest. But it took enormous um, hours of work. See, this was her way of trying to break that economic cycle that she had been in, to find a different way to live. She wasn't proud of her life. A lot of women then, as today, are forced into prostitution. Through sex trafficking, depression, addiction, being abandoned by their fathers or husbands. See, back in those days, you could be forced into prostitution if your husband died and left you a widow. Those little statues that she had been told to pray to for ever since she was a little girl, they just didn't seem to help. But then... Then she heard something that she had never heard before of one God. The only God, the true God, a God that was moving powerfully and, and had already freed those who were following him from slavery. Even parted a sea so they could walk through on dry ground. A God who cared for the poor, who cared for the oppressed, the outcast. And the forgotten, a God who might even care for a prostitute like her. And then two spies from that land come to her establishment. And she puts it all together. She takes all those pieces, she puts it all together, and she decides to go all in. She goes all in, and she risks her life for that God and for his people, a people and a God that she had never known before. So what happens next? She simply asks the spies to remember her, to just let her and her family live. 
She doesn't ask for a reward. She doesn't ask for money. She never even asks to be accepted by this new group. She only asks to be allowed to live and to spend her life chasing after this God. Let me read it to you. It says, Now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family. Since I have helped you, give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live. Along with my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all their families, we offer our own lives as a guarantee for your safety, the men agreed. If you don't betray us, we will keep our promise and be kind to you when the Lord gives us the land. Then, since Rahab's house was built into the town wall, she let them down by a rope through the window. And the rest, as they say, is history. They escape. Joshua comes to Jericho. And if you know anything about the story, they circle it seven times, blow some horns, and God caves in the walls. Well, that is every wall but one. You ever thought about that? Rahab lived in the wall, but was saved. Imagine that scene. The city's walls all cave in except for one small section. The one that had been the brothel where Rahab and her family lived. What an incredible and supernatural thing to witness if you had been there. But let's, let's go a little bit deeper. What is it that really set Rahab apart? Was it just a quick lie and then hiding two men? No. There was way more to it than that. What Rahab did, the way it turned her life around, it's heralded throughout the entire Bible. She was one of the most talked about women in all of Scripture. Her story is told over and over again, and it's always the same angle, the same elements, the same dynamics that set her apart. And here it is. It is belief resulting in action. In the book of James, we read about it. It says, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, Goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing? What good does that do so you see faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds it is dead and useless now someone may argue some people have faith and others have good deeds but i say how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Well, good for you. Even the demons believe this. And they tremble in terror 
How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened, just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Rahab, the prostitute, is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them away safely by a different road, just as the body is dead without bread. So, also faith is dead without good works. Let's call this the belief-action dynamic. And I'm going to put it up. that You have belief on the vertical axis, action on the horizontal axis, which gives you four different quadrants, four ways that this can play out in your life. The first one we'll look at is the bottom left. almost said the wrong one. I was looking. I had to look, turn around and look. The bottom left quadrant, that in terms of low belief and low action. Now, most of us believe in something, and most of us try to do some good with our lives. Not many people would say they live in this quadrant. Not many people would say that they live in complete passive indifference in both thought and action. So let's move to another quadrant, the low belief, high action quadrant. And if we're honest, this is probably where a growing number of people would say that they are today. They may not have a defined faith, but they are very cause driven they want to do something they want to do good justice they want to do mercy they want to make a difference in the world they want to stop sex trafficking end slavery serve the poor feed the hungry black lives matter all good movements while the actions are good sometimes it's without a larger vision without the larger story, without a larger hope, because there's a sense that no matter how much you feel like you want to make a difference, maybe it's just a little superficial. Because the deepest needs in our lives aren't physical. They're spiritual. Our needs are bigger than food or freedom, water and housing, clothes and medicine. We long for community, love, self-esteem, and honor. We long to know our Creator and His purpose for our life. Giving someone a cup of water is good for a moment. But the deeper need is the streams of living water 
Giving someone some bread is good for their stomach if they're hungry. But what we really need is the bread of life. People need to be liberated from slavery and oppression. They need to be liberated from the even greater bondage of sin and judgment. Receiving forgiveness and grace and a new life. See, you're in that quadrant, you're close. But you just get a sense that there's something more that you're missing. But then there's a quadrant that I'm most concerned about, and so is the Bible. It's the high belief, low action quadrant. That's faith without deeds. Which, as we just read, the Bible tells us that's dead. Why? Because it shows that there really isn't a vibrant faith to begin with. See, if your faith is vibrant, you can't pass someone on the street in need and not have it affect your heart and then your hands. Belief without deeds is lifeless, which is why the Bible is most concerned with this state of life. Because in all reality, it's just a smokescreen for a low-belief, low-action life. Because those who believe, those who have faith, should know better. Their lack of action betrays it all. It undermines it all. Because the whole purpose of faith is to act is to do something, to live. If you have faith, if you have belief, but it doesn't change anything, then it's absolutely worthless. And that's why Rahab is celebrated. You see, she was that upper right quadrant type of woman. She got it right, high belief, high action, and that is what set her life apart. She had belief, and then she took action. She stepped out in light of that faith because of that faith and with that faith. Faith fueled her action, and she lived it, and it changed her life. That one simple choice, the choice for, to have an authentic faith, that resulted in action, it changed everything for her. It redefined her life. It redefined her legacy. Let me give you the rest of the story. When the people heard the sound of the ram's horns, they shouted as loud as they could. Suddenly the walls of Jericho collapsed, and the Israelites charged straight into the town and captured it. Meanwhile, Joshua said to the two spies, Keep your promise. Go to the prostitute's house and bring her out along with all her family. The men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, mother, brothers, and all the other relatives who were with her. They moved her whole family to a safe place near the camp of Israel. So Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute and her relatives who were with her in the house because she had hidden the spies Joshua sent to Jericho. 
and she lives among the Israelites to this day. Did you catch that last line? Because it's important. Not only was she saved, she was fully accepted. She was no longer an outcast of society. She found out that this God wasn't just powerful, but he was grace-filled and forgiving, even to a prostitute. So she went on to become one of the most, the most, probably the most honored former prostitute on the planet. Not only memorialized here in Joshua, but also in the book of James that we read, but also in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, which is known as the great faith chapter, the, the hall of fame of those people who have faith. That chapter starts out like this. It says, faith is the confidence of what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see through their faith The people in the days of old earned a good reputation. And then it begins a listing, a who's who of faith. Some of the examples are, it was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. It was by faith that the people of Israel went right through the Red Sea as if they were on dry ground. So name after name, story after story, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, but then there's one more. It was by faith that Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God. For she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. But that's still not all. See, the coolest thing of all is maybe the most easily missed part. In the book of Matthew, it gives an account of the life of Jesus. And Matthew opens up in an interesting way. He gives a genealogy, a family tree, and he starts off by saying, Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. And it keeps on going like that generation after generation until we read this. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of of King David. Did you catch that? Rahab the prostitute got married. Remember, you weren't allowed to marry a prostitute or a, even a former prostitute. So what happened? See, that wasn't how God viewed her anymore. In his eyes, she was a new creation. She was forgiven, accepted, and restored. But even that's not all. See, Rahab's son 
was the husband of one of the most revered women of all the Bible, Ruth. But even that's not all. Rahab's family line, you'd catch, came to none other than King David himself. But it keeps on going because here's how Matthew ends the family tree of Rahab. Eliezer was the father of Mathen. Mathen was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Rahab, prostitute, was an ancestor of Jesus, part of his direct family line, no longer a prostitute, but a, a woman heralded for her faith and her actions delivering the promised land to Israel, fully redeemed from her prior life, marrying, having a child, starting a family line that would one day provide the Savior of the world, Jesus himself. All from choosing to believe and then acting on. So here's a question for you today as I start to close up. Where are you one high belief, one high action decision away from a radical life change? Where is that decision? Because that decision can alter your destiny. It can get you out of that hole that you find yourself in, that sin that you're stuck in that dead end that you can't seem to get out of. For some of you, it starts off with that very first step that Rahab took, a step into belief. And start off by saying, I believe in Jesus. I think I'm going to go all in with him. And from there, God will give you some high action steps to take along with that belief. And when he does, look out. Everything will be on the line. You won't know which high belief, high action moment may be the most life-changing moment in your life. Which is why that next time you're faced with one, live what you believe. Let Rahab inspire you. Let her story breathe some life into you. And then buckle your seatbelt because you have no idea how much God will honor that decision, how much he will use that decision and shape your destiny with it. After all, look at what he did with Rahab's life. And he would love to do it with yours, too. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you that you can even use a prostitute. That gives me comfort that knowing that you can even use someone like her, you can certainly use someone like me. You can use all of us, Lord, if we will just make that decision to believe 
then to act. Help us. Help us to make that decision. To be fully committed to you. To be a high belief, high action type of person that will make a difference in this world. In Jesus' name.